I want to make sure to introduce you to our amazing uh, guest speaker. Jordan Greer is here this morning. Jordan graduated in 2018. She played basketball. She dominated in the alumni game on uh, Friday night, and she is now a pastoral intern at, uh, at uh, Eastminster Presbyterian Church in Wichita. Uh, she has a Master of Divinity degree um, from Gordon-Conwell out in the Boston area, and I'm so excited to have her uh, with us this morning. She's actually sharing a message on our verse of the year from Psalm chapter 16, and it's going to be fantastic. Well, good morning, Sterling. My name is Jordan Greer, as Paul mentioned, and I am a graduate of Sterling. This is awesome. I love this place. It's so good to be back. Um, Like he said, I graduated in 2018, and uh, during my time here, I played basketball. I majored in biblical studies and exercise science, and it is so good to be back here. Uh, I have the privilege of working as an adjunct professor, teaching New Testament, and as Paul mentioned, I'm also serving full-time at Eastminster Church in Wichita. And I did play basketball here, and this last Friday for homecoming, we had the alumni game, and we got stomped, but who better to lose to than the current team, right? So it was so fun, but I will say that I am still tired from the game. I am still sore, and I am worn out because the semester is getting to that point where it just feels so tiresome, and I imagine that for many of you following this crazy homecoming weekend that you are tired. Are you tired? Do you need rest? Me too. I feel so tired. And isn't it funny how in our moments of our deepest exhaustion, it's almost hardest to find rest then, isn't it? When you have that test due and you're so tired, but you need to study just a few more minutes, it's difficult to find rest. And even when it comes to like joy that comes from rest or contentment or happiness, it always seems just out of reach right? So like this weekend, oh, when I get to this weekend, then I'll be able to rest. Or maybe for some of you, it's, if I can just make it till Thanksgiving break, then I'll be able to rest. Or maybe for some of you who are struggling with a particular class, you're thinking, if I get to the end of this semester and that class is done, then I will feel rested or joyful or content. And it always seems right around the corner rather than something we possess, And this morning, I want to suggest that actually our joy and our rest is found in the steadfast presence of Jesus. But we ask, how do we find this rest and this joy in Jesus, even in the midst of our current circumstances? And so I want to turn to Psalm 16, where I think we're going to find some answers. Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11 says, I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So David wrote this psalm, and he wrote a number of the psalms. 
And usually we have some background context to what he might be referring to in the psalm, like a circumstance in his life or an event that happened. But with this psalm, we're not really sure. We're not sure what prompted him to write this. But he says, I shall not be moved or I shall not be shaken, which is your theme verse for the year. And so we can remember from David's life, if we look through the story of his life in Scripture, we know that there were many things that could have shaken him up, right? So we have him giving, getting the promise from God to be king of Israel, and then the current king, Saul, gets super jealous and tries hunting him down to kill him. And so how can David say he's not shaken, he's not moved? We have also other circumstances in his life where um, he fell into sin and as a result, his first son died. Or the events in his life where his sons turned on him. There were many events where he could have been shaken up or moved, but he wasn't. He says, I shall not be moved. And so what is it that is the secret to David's confidence? And the secret is found in the very beginning words of verse 8, where he says, I keep the Lord always before me, or he fixes his eyes on the Lord. Because when you fix your eyes on the Lord, you have a steadfast presence. And in verse 8, there there are different translations of the Hebrew text into English. So we have ESV, NRSV, NIV, NLT. We have many different versions that I'm sure you've heard of. Um, And different versions capture different meanings, like, oh, we want to capture the meaning of this word versus this sentence versus the meaning of the whole paragraph. And so if we could pull up the slide that has the three different verses, verse 16, verse 8. Yeah, so some of the verses have, I keep the Lord always before me. And this emphasizes that God's ongoing presence is with us. There's other versions that emphasize David's trust in the Lord. He says, I know the Lord is always before me, and it's more than just head knowledge, but it's experience that the Lord has gone with him. But one of my favorite translations for this verse, actually, is the ESV, because it emphasizes David's participation in making his eyes look to the Lord. And so he says, I have set the Lord always before me. And so this morning, I encourage you to fix your eyes on the Lord rather than on the circumstances of your life. The reason David can say that he is confident and not shaken is because his eyes are fixed on the Lord. And this is his defense and his confidence. And isn't it true that the thing we place at the center of our lives is what we turn to in moments of crisis? (coughs) excuse me (laughs) and so the thing we place at the center of our lives is what we turn to in moments of crisis and so how can David say you know I fix my eyes on the Lord and he is a steadfast refuge well because God himself claims to be steadfast he claims to be unchanging Malachi 3 6 says for I the Lord Do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Another verse that speaks of God's uh, unchanging nature is Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And this is why we can say that we fix our eyes on God because he is a steadfast refuge. God is a steadfast refuge. And I like to think about David turning from the circumstances of his life. Maybe it was a battle. Maybe it was a war. Maybe it was illness or danger. And he centers himself looking at God at the center of his life. And it is from this sense of confidence and safety that he says, I will not be shaken. How many of you are from Kansas? Raise your hand. Okay, so quite a number of you. You know, we have lots of tornadoes, um, Tornado Alley. And we have very few movies that are actually our claim to fame. You know, we have like Superman from Kansas. We have Dorothy, of course. And... You know, there's also the movie Twister, where it's kind of set in Kansas and Oklahoma. Well, in the movie Twister, there in the last scene, it's a climactic moment, and the two main characters are fleeing for refuge from the tornado that is coming at them. They are running outside from a tornado coming at them, and they see this barn, this beat-up old barn, and they run inside, and the guy, the main character, we're actually going to watch a clip of it. The main character says, These, this steel goes down 30 or 40 feet. And so they grab onto that, and it is a place of refuge. So let's go ahead and watch that clip. So the scene keeps going on and on for like two or three minutes, and I didn't want to show the whole thing. But the, the, the twister actually ends up shredding the barn to pieces. It's flying all around them. And it's actually like, if you watch the whole scene and, and you were like, really? Like, that's not super realistic because they actually start, they're holding on to this like steel pipe, but then they like start getting lifted off the ground. And it's like, okay, you probably don't have that much arm strength, but... They were strapped in, you saw them strap themselves on around this steel pipe. And they had a steadfast refuge because it went 30 or 40 feet down into the ground. And this is what it is like when we cling to God as our steadfast refuge. When, I, when we fix our eyes away from the storms of this life and the chaos and the tests and the, the sporting events and everything that is stressing us out in this life, when we fix our eyes on God, we have a steadfast refuge. Another, another illustration comes from some farmers in the Midwest back in the early 1900s. And, you know, the Midwest is more than just Kansas. It's also, you know, a larger region. 
And the further north you go, the, the worse the blizzards are in winter. And you, if you've been here at least a week, you know the kind of wind you can experience in Kansas and the Midwest. And so these blizzards would actually cause many farmers to die within feet of their house because the blizzards were so intense that they couldn't even see their hand in front of their face. The wind was blowing so hard, so loud, they couldn't hear if anybody was screaming for them. And these farmers, when they would go out to the barn to feed their animals and then come back, try to come back to the house, they would get lost in the midst of the storm. And so as a result, any time a farmer saw a blizzard starting or any sign of a storm starting, (coughs) excuse me, they would take a rope and they would attach this rope to their house and then they would drag the rope all the way to their barn, however far it was, and they would attach the rope to the barn so that any time the storm was happening, they had a way to keep their hand on the rope to go feed their cows, milk them, whatever they needed to do, and then when it was time to go back to the house, they had a way back, and then they weren't getting lost in the storm. And friends, the storms of life are coming, right? In this world, you will have trouble. But what are you turning to when everything is crumbling? Is it a relationship Is it your academics? Is it um, your athletic performance? Is it, what is it in your life that is your immediate response to turn to in moments of crisis? Because if it's anything other than the steadfast refuge of God, it will fail. We need to place Jesus at the center and fix our eyes on him because he is a steadfast refuge. And so you might be asking, okay, well, how do I do this? How do I actually fix him at the center of my life? And there are many ways that we can do this. We can do this with every morning, you know, before I leave to go get breakfast, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read my Bible for five minutes. I'm going to fix my eyes on God, or I'm going to pray for five minutes, or I'm going to listen to worship music, or I'm going to find a friend, and we're going to share what God has done in our life. (coughs) And it's from this place um, of having this steadfast refuge in God that David then says in verse 9, therefore, therefore being because I have a steadfast refuge in God, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. The natural response to feeling like you have a refuge is gladness and joy and the ability to rest. As, he, as David turned his eyes away from maybe a battle or illness or danger and focused on God, he was like, oh yeah, you're my refuge. And he was glad and he was able to rejoice and rest. Are you able to rest today? Do you feel joy Oftentimes, fixing our eyes and remembering God's presence with us is the spark and flame that keeps us going. Because God's presence is something to be celebrated. This week um, was a very hectic week for me. As I mentioned, I'm very tired. Um, But on Wednesday, in the middle of what felt like just a storm, 
around me of events. I was walking down the street in the evening. The sun was setting, and it was so peacefully quiet for just a moment. And I felt the presence of God with me walking in that just that five minutes of being alone with God. And it was so relaxing and refreshing. And my response was rejoicing. God, this, this storm is awful, but thank you so much for this moment with you to rest and rejoice and be glad. And it's good for us to remember what God is doing and his presence with us and that we're not alone. But what happens when we have fixed our eyes on Jesus and he is the center of our life and we don't feel glad or joyful or rested or, as David says, um, my body rests secure. What if, what if we don't feel safe? And we got to remember that David did not proclaim this from a worry-free life. He had many things going on in his life, but he spoke the powerful presence of God in his life. He spoke this truth over himself. We see in many Psalms, David say something to his soul. He commands his soul to do something, even if he doesn't feel like it. He speaks the truth over himself anyway. So he commands his body to rest in the confidence of God. Because God has promised us his presence. David actually takes this confidence, this joy in God to the next level in verse 11. Or excuse me, verse 10. When he says, for you do not give me up to Sheol or let your faithful one see the pit. I want to focus on that first part of verse 10 for a second. For you do not give me up to Sheol. What is David saying here? Because we know that he, Sheol, by the way, is um, like the grave, death, just so we're on the same page. And he says, you don't give me up to Sheol. Well, we know that David died. So what else could he be talking about here other than you preserve me from eventually dying at the end of my life? And we see, based on verses 8 and 9, everything has its context, that God is not abandoning him to the grave to be alone, and that's the end of the story. No. He says, God will not abandon me even to the grave. His presence goes with me even to the grave. Even if my body perishes, you are still with me, God. And that's why he can say, my body rests secure. Because even in the face of harm or death, God's presence was with him. And that is his sense of safety and security and confidence. And as we move into the second portion of verse 10, it says, nor let your faithful one see the pit. Who is the faithful one? Yeah, I heard somebody say it. Jesus. <laughs> he is the faithful one. And it's because we trust in the one who has conquered death already that we are not afraid of the grave. Nothing in all the world 
will be able to separate us from God's love, nor his presence with us, even to the grave, because we trust in the one who has already conquered death. And that is our sense of safety and security. It is eternal. That is our confidence and our hope. God will not abandon you, but his presence is with you. And this text points forward to um, Acts 2, 27, when Peter takes this very text from Psalm 16 from David, and he says, this speaks of Jesus Christ. This is who it is. He was the faithful one who was raised from the dead. So our sense of security doesn't come from never facing death, because we know that death will come, but it comes from the one who has already conquered it and will never abandon us. He will raise us up to new life with real bodies, and we will be united once again into his presence, body and soul. And that is a joyous day to look forward to. And it's in this that our hearts are glad and our souls rejoice and our body now can rest secure because we have the hope of the resurrection and the promise of God's presence with us now and forever. Fix your eyes on the Lord. God's presence is with you and will never abandon you. And again, based on context, this passage keeps building on itself. And that's why in verse 11, out of the promise of God's presence, his never abandoning us, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that David says, you show me the path of life. David was pointing forward to the Messiah to come. You show me the path of life. And as we fix our eyes on the author of life, we are led into abundant life. Job 33.4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. God is the author of life. John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. John 10.10, Okay, never mind. I I had the same verse twice. But there I could fill 10 slides up here just full of verses that talk about God's God as the giver of life. That's why David says, "You show me the path of life." And if we look at the rest of the verses that he has been talking about, he's summarizing what he's already said, isn't he? The path of life seems to be, well, my eyes are fixed on God and he's a steadfast refuge and that's a way that leads me to life. And gladness that he speaks about is a form of abundant life and joy and rest and security beyond the grave. These all point to the path of life that we have in God. And the beautiful thing is, is that this abundant life starts now. 
We have all these ways that God leads us in the path of life, and he's given us his Holy Spirit that helps us walk in life and in righteousness, and he's given us wisdom in his word, and he's given us the church to keep us on paths of righteousness that lead to life. But the thing about God's abundant generosity is that he gives us so much more than the path of life now. But he also gives us eternal life starts now, and it lasts forever. I just read John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. And then verse 11 says, you show me the path of life. Jesus is the path of life. The same Jesus who is the resurrection, who is our hope, And we get to experience this life in Jesus now. And of course, we know that Jesus promises us his presence to be with us to the very end, Matthew 28. And then, after the resurrection, Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. And we have the Holy Spirit sent at Pentecost, and now his presence is always with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. But what did we just hear that Jesus ascended where? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And what did David say about the right hand? In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand, are pleasures forevermore. This eternal pleasure that David is talking about is offered to us in the very person of Jesus Christ, and he is our greatest treasure. And he speaks of the fullness of joy that comes from the very hand of Jesus extended to us, extended to you and me today. When God is at the center of your life and your eyes are fixed on him, you have a steadfast refuge when the storms of life hit. And you can shift your gaze from the storms and the barn crumbling around you. You can look at the tornado You can look at the blizzard, or you can fix your eyes on your steadfast refuge of Jesus. And it is in him that we have a constant presence that leads us on the path of life, now and forever. And this path of life is good, and it's marked out by gladness and joy and rest. And many of you, I believe, in this room have accepted Jesus and have placed him at the center of your life. And it is around this reorienting that you function. But I also imagine that some of you maybe haven't surrendered your life to Christ yet. And you haven't made him Lord of your life. (coughs) Excuse me. And if this is something you haven't done, if you haven't made Jesus king, and Lord, and your steadfast refuge, this is the moment to do so. 
in this space, you have the opportunity to place Jesus at the center. Because like the farmers who saw signs of storms coming and they placed the rope between the house and the barn, they had a steadfast refuge. And we have the opportunity today, if you've never accepted Jesus, to put that rope in place between the house and the barn. So when the storms of life are here and you don't have time to place a rope up, it's already there. Would you make Jesus your refuge today? And as a result, he promises his presence to you, to walk with you now and forever. And for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, who, who are believers, we need to make sure that rope is secure and it's not broken or cut or something. And, and the way that we do this, Jesus is steadfast. I'm not talking, sorry, that was a mixed metaphor. Um, but we need to be practicing looking to Jesus before the storms come, right? We need to be practicing prayer and reading the Bible before we're in a moment of crisis. Because, again, the storms are going to come. And we need to be secure. And where we look in moments of crisis will be where we have practiced looking. And so there are many ways that we can practice fixing our eyes on Jesus. And if you have questions and you're like, I, I don't know how to put Jesus at the center of my life, or I don't know um, what it looks like to keep fixing my eyes on Jesus because I forget. We have prayer, silence, solitude. One of my favorite ways to find rest in God is through just finding a quiet place out in nature and sitting in silence. It is so restful. If you have questions, you can ask me after this, or I'm sure Paul would be happy to answer any questions you may have, or a professor. But my encouragement to you is to fix your eyes on Jesus, and he will show you the path of life, both now and forever. Let's pray. Father God, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence, to worship you, and to know that we have a steadfast refuge in you. And I pray, Father, that you would move in the hearts of these students, um, that if they haven't made you Lord and Savior, that they would. And if we have, God, would you encourage our hearts to keep looking to you? Thank you, God, for this time, and thank you, God, for your love to us that never fails. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.